You're listening to Planet Pod, the podcast for everyone who cares about the planet. It's exciting, isn't it, Jim? Our Christmas special, and we're out and about again in the heart of Kent. I know, it's great, isn't it? And it's lovely to be It's not raining, so which is unusual for us. Um, we've got some lovely waterfall. Uh, we're about to visit Boar Place. Yeah, I'm very excited about this, because Boar Place is actually quite... For me, it's almost next door. It's just around the corner from where I live. And what a magical place this is. Yeah. A stunning grade two listed house. It and is, this great. fabulous... Um, garden and farm but also a working farm based on sustainable principles yeah i'm really excited to see what they uh, what they're doing with it the opportunities that they're providing i think this whole idea of well encouraging people to think about how they can be a bit more sustainable but also get them involved in crafts um growing their own food particularly with young children getting them you know really engaged in what it is to grow from from a seed right the way through to the to the finished product then pulling it out the ground and cooking so that's that's great you know and that's the way to get young people hooked on on sustainability on on the environment and just uh, you know what life's about really yeah and i think that's a very very important theme of today's conversation i know because we're back here as guests of tom ford who's the education director and who's been on the pod before because he took us on our tour of nep so he's here to talk to about the work that he does on a day-to-day basis with young people at ball place so we better get over there we should do you think we'll see some cows today i don't think we're going to see any pigs though no sadly. Pigs, but have you got your wellies i have got my wellies great so let's squelch over then right. okay let's go Well, today on a slightly damp December day, uh, we're here at Boar Place in Kent, and I'm delighted to be joined in Small Barn, which is indeed a barn and very beautiful, by Caroline Arnold, who's the director. Caroline, welcome. Thank you. And Tom Ford, who's been on the pod before. So hello again, Tom. Great to see you. Thank you for inviting us back to Boar Place. Karen, it's very beautiful here. It's a very special place. Can you just tell me a little bit about about the actual house? Because I'm looking out across it and it looks, you know, as you said, it's a grade two listed property. Um, tell us a little bit about that and the ethos behind leaving the, the house to the, to the public as well. Yeah, so the accommodation we have here sleeps up to 50 people and the Waits family, when they left it in Charitable Trust, wanted to leave a venue which was very much about bringing people together in a space and a place that is about provoking people's thoughts. It's about you know quite kind of creating emotional stir and it's a, ha- a house that has presence that when you're in it you feel something. So it's very special and we're quite lucky because we use it as a venue that does generate some income for us but actually we we host so many organisations who are interested in our agenda. So Greenpeace International come and plan their strategy for the next year. We have Marine Conservation Society looking at it. So a lot of the green NGOs use it as a space and a place. We also have um, a number of leadership programmes. We had uh, a programme with On Purpose, which is chief execs leading purposeful organisations come here and do their leadership development. So we've got a venue which is very unique and it just lends itself to those types of activities where if you want to, it's very unplugged in the sense that you can get the headspace, but we host you while you're here in a way that's very much about nurturing and caring for people. So it's very stimulating in getting the best out of people with regard to any agenda they may have. We host yoga retreats to creative writing groups, to youth theatre groups, to homeless groups, to refugee groups, you know, the list is endless. Um, 
but it's very focused around the types of groups who would be very stimulated by being in this environment. And we kind of feel that we amplify the success of what people are trying to do in their agenda by being able to come and use our, our environment to help provoke that thought. So it's and that powerful in, thing. Yeah, and that resonates with those individuals and they take that back into their organisation. Yeah. So it goes out on that ripple effect. Yeah. It's again about recreating that experience that you share with others that, that lasts with you for a lifetime, but yeah. also you can influence others because Absolutely. you share it. But it's also if you're in an environment that kind of feeds you well, as not just in terms of food, but the environment is such that it's the right environment to, be, to operate in. That's what we've got that's special. It's very unique it's not it's not commercial it's not a hotel it's so many things that it's, it's it takes you out of your normal comfort zone and i think it's very powerful in what it gives people yeah it's magical um and ball place is the home of the commonwork trust and caroline it'd be really lovely if you could just tell pod listeners about where the commonwork trust came from and some of its history and the ethos behind this beautiful place Thank you. Okay, so the Commonwealth Trust was actually established over 40 years ago and its mission at that time, which remains very much the heart of what we do today, was around sustainable living and working. It was founded by Jennifer and Neil Waits, who actually came from Waits Construction. And interestingly, they had a personal wake-up call when they were looking at doing business internationally in South Africa and felt, hang on a moment, in terms of apartheid issues, this is not how we want to be doing business. So they... They, they were in a position whereby they left the company because they wanted to do something different. They had some money and they went in search of a place in which they could live life differently, much more around how do we use resources well, how do we work with people well. And they had a motto about how to be a human and they recognised that actually something around the words we use today is social justice. It was something that was very important to them at the time, as well as how do we live within our means in terms of the land and the environment. So with all that in mind, they hunted for a place and they found Ball Place. And they bought the estate, which is a 500-acre estate with beautiful historic grade two listed properties and buildings. And they set the place up with a mission really to focus on how do we connect with the land? How do we use the land? How do we, how do we look after ourselves? How do we look after each other? And that was very much the heart of the founding principles, which, are, as I said, are very much here today in, in what we do. So real pioneers in that kind of conservation and well-being and well-living environment, really, I suppose, in that movement. And, and today, it, it, it's much more of a, a, a wider engagement with the public, isn't it? It's less that, you know, two individuals who've got a you know, fortunate position of having enough yeah. you know, money to, 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 to step out of the rat race and do something very different. The, the sorts of people who come through Ball Place today now, I mean, it, it's very it's widespread. very diverse, absolutely yeah. diverse. And I think the kind of, the, they, they set up a, this mission in 76 and it's kind of unfolded from there. So the farm, for example, was something they established. They really looked at the land and really thought about what is this land right for? And they decided at the time, dairy farming was the right way to go. And they progressed the use of the land and the resources particularly from a grassland management point of view and progressing to organics in the year 2000 that was a decision they took as a decision around what's the right way to farm so it's not just farming for the point of producing a, a product and a commodity what's you know what's the right, the right way forward they were pioneering around um, reflecting on use of manure so they had one of the first methane digesters in the country here they were on tomorrow's world with that in terms of demonstration of you know the ways that things can be done so the farm itself became the hub and from that what's they set up an education program which was very much around giving all sorts of people the chance to come and see and explore because what's felt here is if you can come and see and test test ideas out and reflect together you might come up with something new 
we progressed in terms of renewables here quite early on. We started to manage our woodlands in a way that was around sustainability, particularly in terms of managing it for wildlife, for a crop in terms of rural craft, but also in terms of wood chip for our heating system now that now heats all of our buildings and all of our hot water, as well as the dairy. So that whole resource thing kind of developed. So you're really sustainable as a, as a, as a whole site, aren't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. I mean, that's I mean, very much the coming yeah. in, but, but, but also the idea that you're actually almost creating a mini circular economy within the site itself. That's right. As much as we possibly can, as well as thinking about any products that we buy and, you know, from the paint to the floor to the washing up liquid, everything's thought through around that sustainability and focus. Um, but and is it still a working farm? Are you still, you absolutely. know, still got cattle? We've still, we've got still a herd of milked cows, about 240. It's a medium-sized farm. It produces one and a half million litres of organic milk a year. You know, it's, it's a proper commercial operation and it's wholly owned by the Trust as an example of how to farm. And it's the principles how we look after the land, how we look after our animals in terms of welfare. We are still associated, credited. Mm-hmm. And that's really important for us is about demonstrating and leading. But also, I think, as we move into the new era, when we think about farming in the UK, actually, this farm has been left for public benefit. It's a charitable resource. So we're quite keen to start exploring what that means in terms of how farming needs to be in the longer term. We're here to kind of experiment, I suppose, and explore ways for the future of farming, given its importance in terms of countryside, landscape, wildlife, all of those things. People forget, actually, by the things that go on, mm. uh, by the way that we farm, it very much sets the tone, the scene, the environment, the habitat, and it, all of those things really matter to us. And it sounds as if the farm, as part of a kind of sustainable enterprise, is really allowing you to reach out to a wider public because you've got that source of income so the charity can keep going so it gives you opportunities to do different things and that must be really important John from your perspective in terms of the work you do with education because so often educational organisations struggle year on year to get grants they sort of get funding so you can set up a fabulous program and then the next thing you know you, you know the government or whoever's cut your grant and you can no longer reach out so that sense of economic sustainability must be important in terms of reaching out to the communities you work with yeah i mean i think there's always a challenge with schools being able to divert resources for um, bringing their students out to see where you know how farms work where their food comes from and hopefully and ideally getting involved in actually maybe harvesting and cooking some of the food that's produced on the land here Um, and so some schools are still willing and able and see that as an important factor for their annual uh, field trip to come out here and do that and and happy to to budget accordingly Um, but we also um, approach funding bodies to see if we can work with schools that might not prioritise that um, or maybe in, in deprived areas where funding is an, uh, an issue um, so that we can we can ensure that our offer is not exclusively available for those who are able to afford it but those who could perhaps benefit the most um, by, uh, by a visit here. So we have this year a programme uh, about healthy eating and being active, uh, working with reception classes and year six classes from uh, areas in uh, schools in Tunbridge Wells and in Gravesham and, uh, and that's enabled them to have a free visit with us including the, the cost of transport to get them out here um, and they get to come and explore the land um, uh, go out to the vegetable garden where I'll take you shortly uh, mm-hmm. to harvest some produce and some delicious leeks that are growing out there at the moment and, uh, and in fact it's really interesting to see these, these five-year-olds from the reception one of their favourite things about visiting the farm is not 
only seeing the calves in the, in the barn and uh, and finding out how milking works, but actually just hauling a leak out of you know thick sticky clay soil, taking it back and uh, washing it, cleaning it up, uh, and processing it into a delicious snack that they will then uh, have seen all the different ingredients that go into that. And I think that 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 thing that we're able to do here of really being able to reconnect and point out the journey that their food makes. Um, is something that's special and you know we we are trying to do the best by here and it's really vital that isn't it because I think that you know when I I reflect on where we've got to in the kind of environmental sustainability conservation movement um, you know part of the problem is people have really lost touch with the world around them and uh, so much of that's happened in schools I mean schools have lost their playing fields they've you know become more urbanized there's so much more pressure on schools and the curriculum so young people are not able to engage in things that they possibly would have done you know when I was growing up in school Mm. um and, and I think that you can you can replicate that model across towns and cities. We've lost touch with the the environment around us, and and because of that, places like Bor are even more important. And we've got such a strong message to get out to people, haven't we? About you need to, to connect with the landscape and all aspects of sustainability. But I'm I'm concerned that you know that some of us we maybe occupy a bubble about this, you know, because we can afford to, or because we've got time, or because we've got an interest. How do we really shift that message out to a wider public, Caroline? What do you, what what can we do to really create the changes that you think we need to create? I think there's uh, I think one of the things we do here that I see time and time again as being special is about this experiencing something. You know, in life you remember things if you've had had an experience of some kind. And I think with everything we do with our children and actually our families because we host a whole range of events whether it's open farm Sunday through to a bat evening to astronomy evening to a bird identification. We've we've we focus very much on giving free or very low cost events to give experiences to people to come out and learn. And there's very few opportunities to do that and everything we do is with that in mind it's about giving someone an experience and I meet generally I bump into people who are in their 40s who came to Ball Place because it's been around for so long in the local community and they can remember coming here because it's something they did I think the other thing that we've started doing last year is offering some residentials for year year four children age eight or nine and I think it's very important age because they're building up to spending time away from home by spending an overnight stay here they get to be out in the dark they get to be in the countryside get the smells get all of that experience and it's just something that's going to stay with them forever I can remember sleeping on a church floor in a sleeping bag with my friends and being responsible for you know for making breakfast together and all of those things that make me I think a better person in terms of how I treat people from a social point of view in terms of being confident to be away from home because time and time again children don't get those experiences anymore so I think if, if people aren't exposed to don't have the opportunity to be part of don't experience something it's very hard to make the right choices around the environment or looking after things or thinking about the resources because because you need to have those connections in mind, as Tom said. And what so we that, do here is those connections is making people under, experience something so they can see it, feel it, experiencing it in the hope that it will affect their future decision making. You know, from simple things such as chatting where the food in their lunches come from, if they bring a packed lunch and, and look at these materials, we've got some waste materials, what do you do with that? And having a chat about what the options are or what the alternatives might be. So it's, it's stimulating thought, therefore, in the hope that it affects their consciousness, I suppose. So therefore, in time, you know, they can make a different decision and take more responsibility for the planet and for their own choices in life. And it isn't just young people, is it? I mean, that's incredibly important to, 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 to sow their seeds 
early um, and to try and make that change and allow young people to connect what they eat from where it's come from in terms of the land. We all know those stories about, you know, you ask somebody where milk comes from and they say Sainsbury's, mm. you know, and they have no idea about the, 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 the food chain. It's also about enlightening adults as well, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. And I think yeah. you were saying earlier that, that for you, that kind of part of that is about the well-being agenda because yeah. there's that direct correlation, isn't there, between our own well-being and the well-being of the planet that we, we occupy. Yeah. I think a, for us, there's a couple of things that we do here that I think are really important. The first is we have an organic veggie grower on site and it, you know, we're looking to expand that enterprise. So the food agenda is, you know, it's one of those things that actually is quite pivotal, I think, in terms of the debate around the environment and sustainability generally. So he's producing organic veg. He sells it at Tunbridge Wells Farmers Market. He sells it through um, a, a bunch of box schemes. So he's a supplier, ultimately, of, of good produce. And he's got such a following because his food tastes really good. But it's not just that. It's people have got a race consciousness about purchasing, what they're purchasing and why. And we're really keen to ensure that we can supply that because I think people can raise consciousness about an issue, but then what do they do? So we feel where we can, we would like to ensure we can we can supply it. So supplying organic milk through to supplying good quality organic veg. And we're looking now at an option for how we set up more of a community farm here in which the, the local community can get involved in that production of that food but also then direct access to getting it because yeah, that actually is that's issue. the big problem you yeah. know we can produce it locally we then need the local people to be able to access it and we're trying to think of innovative ways to make that that work here there is a big problem there isn't there because i mean i think that if you can you know tumbridge wells possibly for people who don't know it has the image of being you know uh, uh, disgusted of and very prosperous and, and a wealthy part of the southeast and organic produce has a premium price tag so for the average family perhaps trying to survive on on, on low income it, it, that's way out of their price range and their opportunity to access a local farmer's market or access a sustainable source of food will be something that there's just they'd love to but it's just never going to happen so how do we use some of the good practice here and, and to, to really shift wider scale behaviors i mean what are some of the policy messages or the the campaign messages that we should be sharing to make these things accessible for everybody not just those who can afford to to, to go to the farmer's market um i, I think it's around choice we, we all make a choice every single day from how we choose to get to work to what we choose to wear to what we might be buying as our christmas present this year and every time you're making a choice it's just to try and stop and think about is there an alternative is there a different thing i could be doing here um in terms of what it is i might be buying someone um so thinking about christmas in particular you know it's thinking about if i'm buying i don't know someone a clothing item it's looking at well where has that come from if you're buying christmas your christmas lunch it's looking at um, the veg and thinking well that's come from Kenya actually if that's come from Kenya what does that really mean in terms of the impact that might have had in terms of travelling to the UK but also in terms of the amount of water that that community's used in order to produce that product in the first place and it's very difficult because everything's so flipping complicated and I think that's the challenge we have generally is but there is a price stop. point issue isn't there because if you're buying your you're buying your Christmas lunch in in the supermarket inevitably you're not you know you're not necessarily I, going to be given the choice I think you'll be surprised if people actually spent to the supermarket and looked on the shelves and looked for the, the the Union Jack flag I've done it recently myself with my kids just to challenge us to see what is British or what's you know what's come from the UK I think people will be surprised I think you'll be able to find there's a lot of the produce you could make a choice between Brussels sprouts or beans from Kenya Kenya you know and still make an affordable choice absolutely this isn't necessarily just always be about being organic because this is the dimension 
and I think when you think about food and sustainability you've got to weigh at the organic you've got to weigh at the local and all those things you know are, are to be considered yeah and I guess making a farm more locally available your idea of a community farm not only is that really important for engaging young people but it's also about making things accessible and keeping the cost down absolutely if we're taking the food miles out presumably we're also taking some of the costs absolutely out, of that, I think, so. and I think we we do accept that this has got to be accessible it's got to be affordable it's got to be done in a way that can you know can be done that people can access things and that's important for us which is actually why this whole estate is open to the public for free you know people can come here and go for a walk we've got guided walking trails we're actually looking at other ways that this that we can make this more available for me this this has all been left for public benefit so my job is how do I enable more people to benefit from being in the countryside um, and you mentioned before about well-being. You know, we one of the programs we run, which we subsidise, is around supporting young people who are struggling in school. They come here instead of going to school, and we give them therapeutic support by working in the market garden to help with the veg production. And what's wonderful is it's about getting them back back on track, back into feeling better. We support them in finding their own coping strategies to and that's how they can t- re-engage because we can't we can't let them miss out on their education. We have to no. get them back into school. So and that's actually tiny, them. probably a tiny proportional cost to in terms of prevention that we know is so much cheaper. Yes. and cure and, it, and it's always the way isn't it you do a little outweigh at the beginning and, and if you invest in someone then you reap those rewards um, you mentioned the C word and this the, you know our pod's going out just before Christmas have you got a top sustainable tip for Christmas you know what would be the things that we as consumers can do to just reduce our impact in, the, in this kind of overconsumption season I think the biggest thing is making a choice around something that you can imagine is going to be in your life two to three years down the line so whatever it is you're buying just to think whether or not will I still be using that in two to three years' time? Can I see what that gift I'm giving still being in that person, someone's life that much longer in terms of being available in the future? I think if you just use that as a kind of a cross-check in your mind's eye as you, as you reflect on purchases, I think it will probably put you in great stead and I think it will have a very positive impact. Tom, mm. you got one? Yeah, I think for me, my, my mission this, uh, this year, because I've got young children who are uh, already conditioned to the idea that Christmas is about receiving things and they want things and they want things that other people have had. So um, I'm going to, uh, with, with their mum, put together a little uh, plan for experiences through the year that they can have. So it's not things so much, but it's uh, making sure that we have time as a family to go on little adventures. Uh, it might not be, um, you know, to the far in the corners of the earth but just doing something that is special that feels like uh, an adventure uh, and, and feels like a present for all of us that, that we can share together and we will we'll, we'll not come out at the other side of it going oh we've finished with this now that's you know that's something that we don't need it needs to be thrown away it's a memory and it's something that um, yeah and, and can be done quite cheaply if you're imaginative about it so that's that's my my personal mission and I'm encouraging others to do so and I hear that is something that people are talking about um, and then well, it kind are, of makes Christmas last all year doesn't it so yeah you know, exactly 12, yeah. 12 treats or 12 presents that you have one a month yeah. for the whole year you've got a kind of you know, what a terrible thought Christmas lasts all year yeah. <laughs> but and, and, and just that you know thorny or should I say prickly um, issue around trees Christmas trees do you have an opinion about whether we should go live or artificial what? so my I've got I've got a plan up my sleeve for this one too and I've been doing it for a couple of years I live uh, on the outskirts of the Ashdown Forest which is trying to be they're trying to manage as a heathland uh, and heathland 
heathland means open areas of heather as opposed to the the trees like pine and birch which quickly want to encroach so i get in touch with the local um, wildlife trust who manage a heathland reserve and they are whipping out pine saplings that are perfect christmas tree size every year and i say can i go up there with my kids and take one of them down i'm I'm taking part in a bit of conservation work by removing a pine sapling that they don't want there and the kids participate in the activity of harvesting that um, and and at the end of that that gets compost down in our garden um, and that seems to me like a, a, a reasonable compromise um, to like deal with the tree issue. Yeah, if you don't have the opportunity to live near the Ashton Forest, which is again is a very beautiful space, I guess if you're going to buy a tree just make sure it's composted properly. That's the answer, isn't it? Because there's mm. something very special about having a, a green living thing in your, in your home, but you need to make sure it ends up in the right place. And I think the average life of a plastic one has to be at least 10 years before it's before it's um, offset the carbon to produce it so I think I think it's interesting on that front because I picked up a a fake tree probably 10 years ago from somebody who didn't want their fake tree anymore Mm. and recycled it's it's my yeah it's now my my, now my fake tree as much as it's not my favorite part of Christmas in terms of it being in our home I always look at it and think you know what that where would that been if I hadn't adopted it and ultimately I've got it probably for life so it's just (laughs) one of those alternatives recycle a plastic tree they're definitely out there yeah adopt a tree for Christmas here we've got running as well uh, three events uh, over this week uh, and next about um, making Christmas decorations and Christmas wreaths using materials that have been harvested on site sustainably. So there's willow that's been coppiced, there's hazel that's been coppiced, um, there's a bit of leyland eye hedge that's been cut back, a little bit of um, ivy and holly that have been uh, taken from trees but without impacting them necessarily. But ultimately the, the finished product is something that when you're done with it will compost down and won't be generating um, you know, waste that takes a long time to, to degrade. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you both so much. And I'm really looking forward to going on a little walk with you, Tom, around the, the site. So, Good. Caroline, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Tom, we've just walked past some beautiful um, uh, willow fencing, some hurdles, and we were talking about hedge laying and various other things. And now we're in this quite small area, actually. And at first glance, it looks a bit unprepossessing. It's just green with other shades of green and a few molehills. But actually, this is the this is the wildflower meadow. So if I came back here in a few months' time, it would be completely different, wouldn't it? Yeah, this is the, one of the little gems of, of Board Place, as far as I'm concerned, because I'm really interested in, in wildlife. And um, uh, yeah, and this this is this is a little pocket of wildflower meadow, which is uh, managed just with an annual an annual hay cut. Um, but if you come here uh, in in June, middle of June, when the the wildflowers are peaking, you get a real sense of the the, the biomass of invertebrates that really love this kind of habitat which stands in very stark contrast when you hop over the hedge into the into the pasture for the cows which is um, mainly ryegrass and clovers and things like that where you don't have that sense of that uh, invertebrate noisy invertebrate mass whether it's crickets and grasshoppers stridulating away whether it's hoverflies and bees and bumblebees and lots of types of solitary bees all coming through this tiny little meadow here um, and foraging and completing their life cycles here and and I think it's also very important from uh, the, the message of we've got a market garden here that needs a pollination service and this little pocket here is so full of the, the types of bees flies beetles that will all have a, a play a vital role in ensuring that the crops that we're growing also um, yeah are, are productive because they're being pollinated 
I did a disservice because I said it was green, but actually if we look down, um, you know, there's lots and lots of little, little plants coming up. Yeah, you there. can see it's her herbrit, so it's not only grasses that are coming up, it's some of the finer grasses, and then you've got uh, just still visible at this time of year, you've got uh, a couple of different types of clover, you've got yarrow in there, um, you've got uh, the leftovers of uh, knapweed, um, some of the vetches um, and there'll be lots of spikes of common spotted orchids coming up in springtime and and especially for me when I take school groups coming through here uh, the, the, actually some of those uh, kids find that the noise is almost enough for them to want to cover their ears and I find that's really 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 interesting that they're they're overwhelmed by the sound of all these invertebrates that are buzzing around but that just tells us that this this habitat is so important for for those um, for those species uh, and luckily we still have a little patch of that available on the farm and I'd, I'd like to think that we can expand that out a little bit but the hedgerows that bound this uh, and crisscross the farm we've got 15 miles worth of those and they are incredibly valuable uh, uh, habitats uh, we know both for, for flora but at this time of year the migrant uh, thrushes that are coming to visit us field fairs and the the red wings will probably hear or see a few are coming in to feed on the, the, the berry crop that's available there for, in the form of hawthorn and blackthorn uh, uh, and such like so um, yeah there's some very good habitats on this farm too So I put my wellies on, Tom, and we've come out and we're now standing at the leek plant, uh, patch and this is where the kids get down and dirty. It is indeed. You can still see the tops here that, uh, uh, and the roots that they've uh, taken off before uh, or after having pulled a leek from a bit of sticky clay ground, got their hands covered in mud. It's a good thing apparently these days. Uh, kids don't have enough exposure to that before taking the, the leeks that they've harvested back to our food preparation room where they will wash them down, they'll, they'll clean them up uh, and then at the moment the, the favourite recipe that they're enjoying is leek muffins uh, using wholemeal flour, leeks um, uh, to, uh, and a bit of cheese to create a nice savoury muffin which um, hopefully they will all enjoy eating most of them seem to and if they don't eat it here they'll take it back and share it with their families but it's a, it's, it seems to be one of their favourite things to do to pull a leak out of the ground sometimes it takes two or three of them holding onto it trying to trying to pull it out but then actually to turn it some, into something that they eat and they can follow the whole the path from, from field to fork Yeah, that direct relationship with food that you've grown or harvested yourself and then you eat there's nothing quite like it and if nobody's if you haven't had that experience as a young person you're never going to know how exciting that is no exactly and we even had some year six uh, students here um, a couple of weeks ago who hadn't ever seen a leak before let alone tasted one um, so this was quite an eye-opening experience and I think like we were saying earlier in the conversation um, these sort of tactile hands-on experiences create a really long-lasting memory and hopefully that memory will be a positive one which they can draw on when at times of when they need to make choices about where they get their food from you know what kind of food they what kind of food they eat and and what we're trying to a message that we're trying to bring uh, tied in with the early health and preventative services and our work with these schools is actually we need to think about healthy eating for um, for you know to tackle the obesity crisis but also it ties very much in with um, well-being too Alistair, the cows are in at the moment, aren't they? They're coming for the winter now. But yes. um, what, when did they come in and how much time do they spend outside? 
Uh, so they came in 20th of November this year, which was actually the same day as last year, um, and they were out from uh, about the mid-April um, this year. So they've um, they've had sort of six, seven months outside. Um, and, and yeah, basically it's, uh, it's too wet, grass growth is, is poor through this time of year, uh, being so cold. So it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's something that we have to do is, is have them inside uh, for the winter. When they're out in the summer, they're on a, are they on a, a how does that work? They're on a pasture system, so they yep. move about? Or? Yeah, pasture based. Um, and so we don't, uh, we try to not feed anything, just grass to the cows. Um, and basically, uh, rotational grazing is, is what we'd call it. So the cows have fresh grass after every milking. Um, and we monitor grass growth. Um, we also, if we have a surplus of grasses, uh, we will make silage for the winter. Uh, it's essentially what we do, how we get our winter feed. But yeah, any anything that's, uh, that we can spare that we don't need for silage making is, is grazed by the cows. Um, so grazing um, probably about uh, two to two and a half hectares a day um, for the for the milking herd, um, and about a 21 to 28 days until they're back in the same paddock. Yeah. I'm going to ask you this quickly because we're in a hazardous position now because these cows have, have decided that Jim and his pockets and the microphone are much more interesting than the silage that they've got in front of them. But they're an organic herd, aren't they? Which which means what? They've got no artificial additives coming into their diet at all? Or? Yeah, that's right. So so all the feed is organically grown, so there's no chemicals or, or uh, pesticides or anything like that used in the, the production of the, the crops that we feed to the cows. Uh, any feed that we do buy in for them, uh, we do buy some cereals in for them, um, has to be also organically grown. Um, also from an organic base, uh, we have a limit on how many... Uh, uh, what percentage of cereals we can actually feed to the cows uh, as uh, cereals versus forage. Um, so it's a, a 60-40, whereas a conventional farm can feed as, as much concentrate cereals as they like. And does that uh, make, so it obviously improves the quality of the milk and things, but does it make the cows healthier? Do they live longer? I mean, Yeah, cow, cows are designed to, to eat forage, uh, to, to forage, to eat silage rather than cereals. So while it is good to have a little bit of cereals in there for, for some variation in their diet, um, uh, but a forage-based diet is uh, is important for a, yeah, a healthy cow. Yeah. Look at this. There's a fantastic tongue here. You are gorgeous, aren't you? Yes, you are really gorgeous. There's a sign here that says Blackwoods Cheese Company. So this yeah. is a local business based on site. Local business based on site. They uh, take the milk directly from the dairy and process it into award-winning cheeses, uh, soft cheeses mostly, which uh, make their way up into markets like Borough Market, uh, which is most of where yeah most of their product goes. But obviously the chef here will uh, buy cheese from them to incorporate in the, the meals that we serve to visitors who come and stay with us too. Fantastic. So it's a, a small business that's grown up here. It's getting using not just the not just the, the land and the buildings, but also you know also the, 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 the produce. And, the produce and, and the you'll often see uh, cheesy Dave, as I call him. He wanders up to the garden to uh, collect fresh herbs from the garden to add into his cheeses as well. So really, kind of making use of what's coming directly off the land here. Fantastic. Tom, we're standing um, beside of the house looking into the reflection pond, which is stunning. And because um, it's winter, there aren't any great crested newts in it, are there? But you said normally there are. 
Um, but there are a lot of people on site, aren't there? A lot of small businesses or individuals running kind of you know, you know small businesses on their own on their own basis, but also working with you uh, um, at Ball Place. Yeah, well, I think the the, the Commonwealth Trust really welcomes uh, uh, anybody who has a, a a need for a space uh, to run a small business, whether a space uh, available here, um, particularly if it's in keeping with what this the ethos of of the place itself. So, uh, as well as the Blackwoods Cheese Company, which are making their, their cheese using the milk from the, the dairy and adding in herbs from the market garden. We've got the uh, John Waller who's the, uh, who goes by the name of Underwoodsman and he's responsible for managing our woodlands here but also uh, he uses it as a base for, for his enterprise. Um, more recently we've just uh, uh, had somebody come and set up a free range camping uh, business here um, so yurts and shepherd's huts in, in one of the fields that uh, does also get grazed by the cows um, then the chef's wife she has set up her own organic cakery here and she runs um, uh, patisserie uh, courses um, but also provides um, uh, and makes the most amazing uh, wedding organic produce uh, wedding cakes some of which uh, are used by the weddings uh, or uh, who come here uh, but also um, she te- you know she sells them uh, to, to other people who, who happen to get be getting married and interested in having sometimes it's a vegan cake or, or sometimes it's just that they're keen on uh, organic ingredients going into their wedding cake so that's just a, an idea of, of the, the small businesses that make this place their home as well been listening to planet pod do get in touch via twitter at planet underscore pod or via our website theplanetpod.com where you can subscribe and download previous episodes please don't forget to rate and review this edition and join us again soon at planet pod